When you come to church on Christmas Eve, whether it's your first time in a while or you've been here every Sunday, you probably know what to expect, that you're more than likely going to be returning to Luke chapter 2 and hearing a story that uh, perhaps is not new to you. But I ask that you would listen to it anew uh, and bring to it the yearnings of your hearts and your minds as we return to this great story. Hear now the word of the Lord as it comes to us in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to their towns to be registered. And Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him at the inn. Now in that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, or I dare say singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom God favors. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for the assembly of beautiful and wonderful people who have come today to enjoy this time of worship together. Those who have been married, baptized in this church, those who have had lock-ins, and those who've never been here before. May your spirit move in such a way that each of us receives the gift which you intend for us. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I preface the scripture reading today, at this time of year we hear these words that in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. And we hear that this was the first registration taken while Quirinius 
was governor of Syria. These introductory words are scripture's way of saying once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away because they set the stage for a story that we know, even if we have not been to church for some time. The story of Joseph and his wife Mary journeying to Bethlehem where she would give birth to the baby Jesus and lay him in a manger because, yes, there was no room for him in the inn. Now, when I suspect that when you hear these opening words to the story, you probably kind of relax and settle into your seats like you were about to watch a movie that you have seen dozens of times. However, when I hear these words every year, I'm not taken to that place of comfort, but discomfort, embarrassment, and a little bit of shame. I'm not taken to the manger. I'm taken to the sanctuary lectern in my childhood church in first in uh, Ambler, Pennsylvania, where as a sixth grader, I stood as a participant in what I've called in this sermon, perhaps unfairly, the worst Christmas pageant ever. Now, the story behind this children's pageant was that uh, a dear friend of our family uh, and a member of our church ambitiously wrote a whole new play. Instead of doing the traditional Christmas pageant, which is all great, and we had a great one here as well, our family friend, who was a teacher of English, wrote a whole new play. And it was really a play within a play. And it was about a bunch of teenagers who were forced to put on a Christmas pageant against their will. They were just not into it. And I was the narrator of this Christmas pageant. And my job as the narrator was to be the worst Luke 2 narrator ever. I think I nailed it. <laughs> I went something like this. In those days, a, a decree went out from Emperor August, us, that, yeah, all the world should be, um, like, registrated. Uh, this was the first refrigeration and was taken while Quirinoceros was governor of Syria. I was so good at being bad, the congregation got it all wrong. Because as I read these words, it was clear that the people in the pews, much like your sort of should I laugh or should I cringe reaction to that reading, were not sure what was going on. They actually thought I was really making mistakes. They weren't aware that my mistakes were scripted. So at best, they thought I was unprepared. At worst, I was inept, incapable. And I could literally feel their consternation and concern as I read these words, as they asked themselves, what has happened to Bruce and Chris's normally well-spoken son? It got worse from there. I'm told uh, 
in talking to the author of the play this week that, I didn't know this as a sixth grader, but the, the church organist refused to come to rehearsal. Perhaps he was boycotting this break from tradition. So during the climactic transition in the story, the, the seminal moment when the main character finds her sulking and resistant self transformed by the joy of the gospel story, the organist came in with the closing hymn. Kind of like a producer interrupting the Oscars acceptance speech to try to get the actor off the stage. All in all, it was a noble effort with less than noble results. And all these years later, I can still feel the awkwardness of being so misunderstood. And my mom can still hear the grumpy criticism of those who made it very clear to her that that was not a Christmas pageant. But in the midst of all this consternation, there was a grace note. A grace note. I'll come back to that word in a minute. Grace. And I didn't know it at the time. I don't remember this grace note, but apparently when the play ended, the pastor of our church, whose booming voice carried the force of a hundred trumpets, took to the pulpit to say how wonderful it was to see the youth of the church so invested in the retelling of the Christmas story rather than just going through the motions like we did every year. Now, his compliment may have been the northern equivalent of bless their hearts. <laughs> Sweet, soft-sounding words that conceal sour blades of judgment. But for the purpose of this homily, this, this sermon, I want to choose to hear that pastor's words as a blessing. A blessing to me and us then, and to me and to you now. For this Christmas, like every Christmas before it and every one that is to follow, we are invited to be invested in a story that has been misunderstood for as long as it has been told. A story that we still haven't gotten quite right neither in the telling or in the hearing. Some of that misunderstanding arises in the text itself. We learn by studying this text that Luke has perhaps wrongly dated the time of this registration, this census, that contradicts the actual chronology of history. And there may be some consensus emerging as well that when Luke talks about the inn, no room at the inn, that the better translation might have been a guest room of a friend's house rather than the stable of the ancient hotel that had no vacancy. But even though some of the facts may be wrong and our translations may be a bit faulty, the church continues to tell this story. As Larry has said five times today, you can hear this story. I joked with some of you beforehand, we could uh, punch your card and you get a free service after attending all five of these services tonight. That just shows how invested we are in this story in terms of our patterns, in terms of our traditions. But I want to ask you and ask myself, 
how personally and communally invested are we in this story? Will we take the risk of pouring ourselves into it? Trusting in the great return promised in it, despite all the evidence and scholarship to the contrary? Will we bring to this story our willingness to play a part in it? Not allowing ourselves to be dulled by its familiarity, but sharpened by the rugged hope and inexplicable awe it has to inspire and move us? Will we play the role that this story inspires us to play, even if it means we are misunderstood and at times also maligned? This year in Bethlehem, the actual present day one, the normal Christmas celebrations have been canceled. The decorations are not as abundant. But there are those there who are deeply invested in this story, this Christmas story. These are people who have placed the baby Jesus of their manger scenes amid the barbed wire and rubble of human warfare instead of upon the straw of grazing animals. This is all they have to give to their story this year. And that's another way of saying that they are giving their all to it. And on many levels, it's so wrong, but it's also so right. Every telling of this story occurs in the midst of something that is wrong. Something wrong in the people telling the story and in the people who hear it. Something wrong in the world of the story and the world in which the story is told. Into all that is wrong in and around that story is born all that is right. A child wrapped in bands of cloth. My childhood's worst pageant ever had the best story of all time embedded within it, a story of grace and transformation, of the gospel taking flesh and becoming real to those who are resistant, reluctant, recalcitrant, no matter how loud the organist wanted to play to drown that music out. In each of our narratives, in each of yours, there is that story within your story. The play within your play. And it is indeed a story of grace. Of grace. How many of you play Wordle? Okay. I, this is, this is, I'm about to tread in dangerous territory. How many of you who play Wordle have not yet completed today's Wordle? Okay, I'm sorry. I have to give away today's Wordle. So you're going to get one. So Wordle, if you don't know, is a, a word game where you have six guesses to guess a five-letter word, okay? Uh, and I play it every day and try to beat my friends, and it's really great. So this morning, as I was finishing up uh, what I was thought was going to be a kind of a, a restoration of this sermon, you know, I went to bed last night not really thinking it was where I wanted it to be, to be honest with you. And so I got up early, got the coffee on the machine, edited, chipped away at it, move this, move things around here, try this, try that. Never right feeling I quite had it and just sitting back and saying, oh, this is going to be the worst. 
Christmas pageant story ever about the, the worst sermon ever about a Christmas pageant that was the worst ever. So I just sort of picked up my phone. And I was like, I'm going to play Wordle. And I typed in the first word, glory. This time it was glory. Got a few, got, got the G, right? And the, uh, and the R. No, 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 no R in glory. So no, I did great then next. Okay, got the G and the R and the E. Then I did grade. Nope, that was my third guess. Then I did grave. Did I say that one already? Grave. I did grave. And then grape. (laughs) And that was my last chance. I lost. My streak was over. So I'm like, what word was it? Grace. 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 It was like the Holy Spirit had shined a light on me and said, Patrick, it's about grace. (laughs) My whole life, my whole ministry, everything about me is my attempt to fully embrace the gift of grace. Grace, the gift of God in Jesus Christ coming to me, not because of what I get right, not because of what I do well, not because of my streaks, my wins, but because of the gift itself. If you only knew how much I struggle to embrace the gift of grace. And then I come into this sanctuary and I see grace. I see grace in the child that I baptized that I haven't seen in a long time. Or in the couple that I married. The co- The college kids back, who are not college kids anymore, they've grown. In the people I visited in the hospital, with colleagues I love to share this space with, with my neighbors who are here for the first time, my best friends who have set me up with my wife. That is grace. Each of you is an embodiment of grace to me But it's not about me. It's about grace living in each and every one of you and being grace to those whom you love and those whom you don't love. The grace is the main character in this great story. And grace has a name. His name is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. And we all come to him from different places and different vantage points. But that's not the main story because the main story is that he comes to us as gift, as grace. So will we be invested in this story? Will we treat it not as an ornamentation to hang on the tree, but the, something that we hang on to as, as, as if it is life itself? We are never too far removed For this child to move in us. It is never too late for his story to be timely in our world and in our lives. For in those days, when Quirinius, or however you want to pronounce it, was the governor of Syria, or perhaps not, the heavenly angels sang glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. My friends and loved ones, the angels are still singing. 
and not even a misunderstood pageant can get in the way of that song. So let us, through this great story, be invested on earth into the God who has poured into us the greatest blessings of heaven. Let us embrace this gift of grace. Merry Christmas. Amen.